Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Wilkie. And I'm David Oro. And you're listening to The Embargo, the greatest PR podcast of all time. Damn straight. There's always something to talk about and a point to make. And we're going to do it when we want, which was supposed to be every other week. But it's been a while since we talked to you. Never every other week. Um, <laughs> whether it's tech, business, sports, or your mama, we're going to cover it. Especially your mama. It all comes from the point of view of public relations, reputation, and communications. We're all about punching stodgy PR in the face. So that's right. So sit back, strap in, and let's get it on. Today is Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. An unusual day for us. We don't normally tape on Tuesdays, uh, but we, we tape on the other T's uh, Thursdays. But hey, we're here, and we're here because, well... Our guests couldn't make a find a different day to do the recording. That's how we're doing it. What's up, Paul? How are you? It's been a while since we gotten together. Yeah. It has, and you've been through a couple things. Um, one of the things, so you had COVID. I had COVID again. Damn it, I got it again. I didn't want to talk about it. I call. I tested last week. I, actually, so first of all, it's it it is uh, conference season. So I had a big event last week. Uh, it was Dr. Khan down in Los Angeles. Uh, the client was there. Everybody was there. Industry people were there. All that stuff. Saturday, I was still feeling sick. Last Saturday, Sunday was kind of weird, just rested. Monday, I worked all the way through. And I said, you know what? I get on a plane on Tuesday morning. I better just check. Four o'clock on Monday. That's positive for the damn thing. And I was like, shit, <laughs> I can't get on a plane. Had to cancel flights, do that. Spent the next two hours trying to figure out how somebody was going to cover my ass in Los Angeles that week. But we got through it. I ended up working. It was okay, COVID. I got some residuals. I stopped testing positive. I didn't take any plaques of it or anything like that. I'm here. It's the world we live in today. We're glad you're back and better. And, and fortunately, as we've learned, being being on the embargo does not give you immunity to COVID. Um, <laughs> we talked about it. We tried. Enough. We tried. <laughs> I am um, thrilled to have our guest on today. I've I've had the pleasure of knowing this guy for about 12 years now. We've been, and the topic we're covering is something he and I have been talking about for most of that time. Uh, his name is Ken Schumann from Interconnected Strategies. He's worked for some amazing companies over the years, Trulia, Rivian, Pindrop, to name a few. Uh, and he's doing some great stuff, and he's going to talk to you more about that. Ken, how are you doing today? Hey, Ken. Hey, David. Thank you. Nice, warm welcome. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys. This is this is great, and um, I, I hope I have immunity. I I got my uh, vax update last week. Doubled up, flu shot and COVID shot, same arm, same time, one trip. I'm ready for the next three to six months. Well, so I, I, I'm going to get super immunity here pretty soon. I'm going to take that same shot in a couple of weeks when they tell me to do it. I'm going to be like already COVID out and getting all those things. Ken, Paul talks talks to about knowing you for years, 12 years or more. I don't know where you guys met. Paul seems to be all these people all over the place. Uh, and I feel like I know a lot of people. Then Paul, all of a sudden, you know, Paul in his quiet way knows everybody. Somehow, some way, he's he's connected with folks. Agreed. You and I have multiple people that would know each other, and and like three, four, five, six people have said, "Oh, you know Ken, you know Ken." I'm like, I never met the motherfucker. 
Like, who is this guy? It's nice to finally meet you. So I I agree. As, as two old guys in this industry who've been at it for 25 plus years, I don't know how we haven't bumped into each other across paths. So this has been a long time coming, I think. This is a full circle moment. We met 12 years ago, and I was speaking at an IPO conference at a PR firm uh, right after, uh, after we'd taken Splunk public. Um, and he was about to work on an IPO. And now, full circle, Ken's got this great event coming up um, in November titled Gearing Up to Go Public. It's at NASDAQ in San Francisco. We're going to dive right into it. But Ken, this is like I said, full circle moment. This is this is you you yeah. running, running the game. I love it. Yeah, you know, this is this is phenomenal for me. Um when I was getting ready to go down the IPO path at Trulia, I was on a mission to meet as many smart people who had walked that path before me. And I had a gentleman by the name of Matt Flegel on my staff who uh said, You gotta meet this guy, Paul. So Paul, as you mentioned, David knows everyone. Um, this guy said to me, "Let me let me introduce Paul to you." So Paul, uh, I think, stop by our office just as a come see Matt. Stop by, and then I did go and see him, and not only full circle. I believe it was at the Nasdaq Entrepreneurial Center, which is where your panel was that I saw you that night. And um, we ended up going out for coffee afterwards, and. I believe heavily in building an IPO network. No one should walk down this path alone. You speak a language that wink twice if you can answer this one. You don't have to say exactly what you're doing, but people understand. And having a strong network like that's incredible. And ever since I took Trulia Public, I did the same thing Paul did for me. I'd meet with people. I'd I'd hang out with folks. Um, and help them prepare for the road ahead. And now I get to pull a whole conference together um, to really demystify the IPO process. I am going to bring people in from the PR world, from the IR world, from the legal world, and every single panelist, presenter, fireside chat participant will have done an IPO. And I think... It's a first of its kind conference. I don't know anyone who or any educational platform where you can come get this perspective of all three tracks, how they work together, um, and hear from folks who have been there and done that. So usually this is a pretty big process that the banks own. And usually you hear about Goldman Sachs, you know, and all the big banks that are taking companies public, and then they go on this roadshow. People forget that communications is a big part of that. And I don't think people really understand the role that it plays. And this is what you guys are going to be covering in this whole process. Yeah. So I talk about the IPO process of seven stages of communication. And the first stage starts 12 to 18 months before you're even talking with bankers, making your selection, thinking about going public, which stock exchange. So it starts early from a comm side, your corporate messaging. Do they understand your business and how you make money? I think you guys probably remember Zynga's IPO got delayed because the SEC didn't understand their accounting. 
Well, if the SEC doesn't understand your accounting, how's the media supposed to understand how you make money and why your IPO is going to be successful, right? So you start early. And then as you start working closer to it, you start to see the CFO building out their IPO team. And all of a sudden, you have a director of IR that you can partner with. And they're doing the same thing. You're helping the media understand who you are, where you fit in that world. IR is starting to talk to the analysts behind the scenes. You got your general counsel working with the selection of bankers and filing forms. And I always tell people, A, start early and B, get involved early. Because the more that you have a purview to and you get to see and you're in those meetings and conversations the better job you're going to do running the communications process externally and internally. And this conference will give you that full view of like, how do I earn a seat at the table? That's my keynote. 10 steps to earn a seat at the table. Number one is starting with trust. And you got to earn that day one at the job from the CEO and the general counsel. And I've got a 10-step process, which I will unveil to say, this is how you earn a seat at the table, be part of all the bankers, be there for the banker selection. Find out why they're pitching you, how they see your IPO going. You're going to learn from them on how you might want to position things to the media even. Don't write the S1. Let the bankers and lawyers do it. But make sure you're involved in the process, at least in the investor letter and maybe the write-up of like what makes you unique and different. The other 178 pages, leave the legal into the bankers, right? But if you're not involved in the process, they don't know where you can make an impact and you don't know what they're working on. So the whole idea is to figure out how to work with them, get involved early, own the process. So I want to follow up on that, Ken, because for a lot of people, and particularly if somebody has it gone through an IPO process before, and, and I imagine this is, was, was you at Trulia, yep. um, like, what, <laughs> it's as if, like, you have this executive leadership, and if you don't have that seat at the table, and usually there is probably one comms person there, so, and I've seen that happen a lot of times, or brought in later, uh, which yeah. is probably not a good case, <laughs> but how do you teach yourself this, right? So you have this, obviously event coming along but to me it just sounds like it, it would seem almost maddening <laughs> to be involved in that process if, if if people aren't doing it correct i'm trying to make it less maddening right for me i had to send linkedin in mails to danny dudek at zynga and say hey can i take you to lunch i met paul picked his brain i met john franklin who was at abernathy mcgregor at the time who was doing lots of financial communications. I had a thirst to go out and find this knowledge because I wanted to be proactive and I wanted to go to my CEO and say, hey, here's all the things we should be thinking about and doing. So being proactive and going in with a plan, it's also part of what helps you earn a seat at the table. Most founders have never done an IPO either. There, if you can help them be successful and get take the lead and say, hey, CEO, here's five things we should be thinking about today. And here's what's going to be happening six months down the road for us. And again, 
I believe all organizations that the, 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 the comms person should report directly to the CEO. I love CMOs, but again, they don't fully understand the way we see the world and the impact we put on organizations. You know, it's funny you said that. I had a client one time and, and this notion of tech working with the CEO and being a trusted advisor to them and letting them know how you can help and what could come down the pipe. I had, a, I was working with a client, a startup. They were getting acquired by a major company. And afterwards, you know, we went through the whole thing. And, you know, about a year later, we were sitting down having lunch. He was, he said it was the most stressful thing I'd ever done. And to me, it was like, wait a minute. I remember I was there for part of that. And I wasn't in every meeting, but at that time, it just made me realize he was getting hit from everywhere. Legal, employees, um, uh, investors, uh, partners. What is going on? Yeah. And, you know, the role that I probably could have played, and I did play, but not in a way that was more proactive, was like, I could be there for you to help you communicate this through. And I think as communicators, you forget that your role as a communicator is to help communicate these things. The role as the legal guy is doing these things. And the CEO or that leadership team is literally getting hit by everything. And their their brain is going crazy too. A little dirty little secret about IPOs is most of the people going through the IPO process have never been through an IPO. So Ken got it right by just absorbing information and knowing what to expect. The people that know the IPO process are the bankers and the people at the stock exchange. Everyone else, chances are they haven't done one or maybe they've done one you know, several years ago. So having that knowledge base puts you farther ahead than you realize. Yeah, and then evolving, right? Like SPACs were a whole new thing. Paul and I got to work on one together. It's different. So again, even though we have this knowledge, you have to have a thirst for knowledge and continually go out and learn. Get close with your general counsel during the process because guess what? It's different papers that are being filed. There's different green shoots in the way investors are staying in or staying out. And if we're going to be successful in helping companies through this process, it's up to us as communicators to be that advisor, not just a comms advisor, but a business advisor, and to think 360 about the employee stuff that you mentioned. It's crucial. If you're leaving your employees behind on this journey and they're not informed, that's why they've joined you. For them, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity as well. So I think it's super important that you you... CEOs have the awareness of, I need a strong advisor. And for comms folks, if you want to rise to the challenge, go get smart. Pretend like you've done it before, pull together a plan of action proactively and lay it out for your manager, whether it's the CMO or the CEO, and ask to then present to a full management team at one of their meetings if you do not sit on the management team. Start to wedge yourself in, and that will open more doors. So let's talk about the IPO market today. So Ken, you're gonna, I think you're gearing up for a busy season, right? So we had Instacart go out recently. Yes. I mean, it's been dead in 2023. Let's just admit it, right? And so we been had dead a in 2022 as well. It's been yeah. a, it's been a long 18 months. We have not seen much action. 
but that's our incentive in 20 years actually yeah that's our incentive in this industry right and this is what's created wealth and particularly in our area the bay area it's like do good make some uh, you know run get a business up and running and even if you're not making money you can probably go public you know but it's been quiet what do you see happening I mean, I think the markets reset itself in that free money is gone. So companies can't just keep going back to the well. So you have to first, companies for the last 18 months had to change the way they were operating. They weren't going to get their next $100 million round. They had to start showing a path to profitability. And they had to show that they could be a standalone self-sustaining business. And that's been the biggest change. And if you look at the two or three companies that have tested the IPO market recently, they've all come in with really strong financial statements and a path to growth. Now, is that enough in today's market? I'm not so sure. We saw three happen. Two have dropped below price. Clavio's held, held nicely. What, na what names are they, Ken? So we... Instacart and Arm have both fallen below. Arm just got its first set of initiation from analyst reports, came out strong with upside to get back to the number they were at. So the analysts seem to be welcoming them, which is nice. Um, Instacart was a unique story. They had a lot going against them. Their orders were flat. Their marketing business has been skyrocketing i mean it was like an 800 million dollar business last year in terms of like their their marketing world and their paid advertising which is phenomenal growth for them um and it's something that the grocery industry is very used to you pay for end caps you pay for shelf space right um but i think investors should be concerned about growth stopping um that's a scary proposition um, and they also had some very unique clauses in their IPO because employees have been waiting a long time for liquidation. There wasn't the standard six month lockup period, two months. That's it. Employees can sell 35% of their shares after two months. The stock's already below IPO price. Now what happens if the market gets flooded in November with a whole set of shares that's a scary proposition for investors. Um, so you saw a lot of institutional buying come into them. Pepsi took 175 million and Dreesen bought a ton more stock and one other of the VCs did too. And it makes you kind of take notice of like, were they ready and would the market support them without that? Um, valuation was down almost 75% from 40 million to 9 million or something like that, or down 50%. So the VCs were actually averaging their losses from their private investment. Like the whole thing was a little peculiar. It wasn't your typical standard IPO. And the B2B Clavio one has been very successful. And I think there is a lot more B2B SaaS companies in the pipeline that are probably cheering what they've seen. I think the, the consumer IPO and the D2C type stuff is going to, I don't think there was a clear signal that the market's ready for that yet. Um, and honestly, 
I don't know how many more tech IPOs we'll see in Q4. I, I think very few, if any. I think Q1 will be a fresh start and we'll see what happens. There's a lot of companies in the pipeline. So who's going to be the first, right? Trulia came out after the Facebook debacle. Facebook went public in May, I believe, of 2012. Jobs Act was introduced. All of a sudden, you could file privately. Trulia took advantage of that, the first company to do it. And why we decided to go was we actually had a mobile advertising story, and that's what Facebook was getting killed on. So we knew that where their deficiencies were was a strength for us. So we were one of those companies that said, you know what? We'll be one of the first to go test the market, even though some of the most recent IPOs weren't performing. And that's what we're going to need to see. Someone step up in Q1 or a couple companies step up in Q1 willing to take that leap of faith and have confidence in the built business they built and the growth trajectory ahead. Um, and it's, it's going to take some finessing from the comm side and from the, from the, the market to, to, to go launch a successful. I, I think the nice part is, is the market wants it. LPs want it. The VC industry needs it. So at some point we'll get there again. Yeah. One of the things we had been, I think we actually we started talking about it before the call is is what are some of the interesting IPOs or interesting things you've observed over the years, uh, whether it's you know stumbling out of the gate or having a great IPO or things done well or not. What are what are some of the th things that stick out for you? First, the PSA. Don't buy stock in the first couple of weeks it launches. I'm not a chart guy. I'm not a historic guy, but I can tell you. People love an IPO run-up, but uh, there always seems to be a rundown immediately after that. And a lot of people are like, I'm going to jump on it first day or second day and ask them how it turned out for them. So like, no matter what, every IPO is going to have a hype cycle. And I I tell people to avoid the hype cycle. The first days are not set up for the casual investor to to succeed. It's It's set up for you know, the VCs and the people who are early investors. Yeah. Um, some of the other weird things I find is, um, I think Facebook may have been one of the first, but this whole bringing the bell to your company versus going to New York and experiencing these institutions. Um, it is a culture thing. Yeah. Um, Executives want to be with their employees and not off in a white castle in New York ringing a bell and being part of it. But I will tell you, and I think you both know this, an IPO is a branding event more than anything. Um, it's a financial event. It's a company milestone, but it is a branding event. And there is no better place to make a splash than this place called New York City. And whether you're taking advantage of Experience Square out in front of the stock exchange or whether you're on billboards all over the heart of New York City, taking your moment out of there so you can do it in Menlo Park or you can do it within the floor of Zynga with all of your employees looking around you and never quite understood why that fad or trend took off. 
I, I gotta tell I gotta tell you, Ken, I agree with you. So I've had the opportunity to um ring and close at the New York Stock Exchange and open at NASDAQ. And uh, you know, when you call it a branding event, it is, right? And not only is it a branding event, the NASDAQ and the new NYSE have made it a branding event. NASDAQ right. literally has a billboard in Times Square. If you're in the room, they're going to put you out on the billboard. They both and, do great jobs. They do yeah, fantastic jobs. You watch CNBC or any of the news channels, every opening bell, every closing bell, whatever company's up on stage is up there. And like from personal experience, it's fun. And Paul, I should pull my NASDAQ photo for you that I have here. And you can you can show it on screen. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, it's not NASDAQ. It's the New York Stock Exchange. I apologize. But it is actually a fun event. And what I think people forget about when people pull up, like, oh, we're going to do the bell ringing in, in our offices in San Francisco because we support our employees. <laughs> Everything I've heard and everything I've seen on a share from a company being in New York City, you go to LinkedIn. Oh, my company was in Times Square today. I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of my CEO. And half the time, companies bring probably 50 to 100 people there for a big old party anyway. And so like your leaders are there. It is a big employee morale boost. Um, I would say. And there's very few moments in time that you get to do that, right? Why ruin it in your home office? <laughs> Go to New York. It's an adrenaline rush that 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 cannot be equaled on you know in, in our business. You you can't and and it it it's a great equalizer. Both the CEO and you know the intern who gets to go have this great experience. It's great adrenaline rush and a sense of pride and a sense of ownership. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a culmination of a lot of work. Right. And so most of these companies, you know, if you're lucky, you toil for a couple of years. If in reality, you're probably seven to 15 years into it before you actually get to this point. Yeah. Of so. yeah I, I will always recommend a company get their New York City moment. Yeah. It doesn't mean executives can't stay back. At Trulia, we found a great balance. We had some people back to lead the morning toast. We didn't take all of the exec management team. Everyone sacrificed for the good of the culture and the company. And we had folks in different offices, different locations. We flew executives out to our Denver call center because you, no one wants to be a stepchild. Everyone wants to feel part of it. And you can make employees feel part of it. You have live feeds coming from the stock exchange. So your CEO can still address your employees from the floor the morning of. Like there are ample opportunities to do right by your employees and make it a huge part of your day in corporate culture, but also take advantage of that branding moment in the city that never sleeps, right? Like there is a reason the heartbeat of New York is the home of the media world, the financial world. They want to claim the tech world, but let's be honest, they're not there. And I don't know if they ever will be, but that's okay because it's thriving and it is good to see that, right? Um, but go to New York. Don't yeah. don't skip it. So, Ken, we got a few more minutes here. You've got an event called Gearing Up to Go Public, November 7th 
um, in San Francisco at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center. It's a one-day conference. Demystify the IPO process. Ken gave you one tip today. It was called trust. He's got nine more to give away <laughs> for a price. So show up at his event and find out more from there. Before we before we go, Ken, we, we, we like to have a little fun. And it looks like Paul put something in our little agenda today called uh, Pet Peeves of the Week. Paul, you want to cover this <laughs> really quick? Very, very timely. What are, what are our pet peeves of the week? We've got, uh, we, we always have a handful, but I think, I think that we've got two that are sort of in, interconnected with each other. And, and, and let's just start with RFPs. You know, they're, they are the bane of our existence for several reasons. Uh, Ken, wanna, you want to chime in on this one? Yeah, um, I do. But real quick before I do, David, thank you for that wrap up. And listen, Paul is a moderator. Paul will be chatting and leading a conversation about stories and travels of that public to private. So if you're a fan of Paul, you're a fan of the show, use coupon code IPO23ICS and you'll get 20% off the purchase of the ticket. You'll get a chance to hang with Paul and be part of the day and I'd love to meet you. You said Paul and oh my God, that I'm going now. So <laughs> <laughs> As if you guys don't see enough of each other, okay. right? Um, so listen, RFPs, um, they're a real fucking problem. That's what RFP stands for. Um, That's a good one. <laughs> I love that. Um, 20 years ago, we would make interns work for free. Luckily, we now pay interns. We evolved as an industry. Somehow, RFPs, everybody wants you to work for free, give away great ideas, to maybe have a chance to win. And sometimes they invite three agencies, sometimes five, sometimes seven. Well, if you're asking for two free ideas from seven agencies, you're walking away with a whole year's full of ideas one month at a time. And I don't, I fully will not participate in a full RFP. I will turn it down and say no. If it involves a we want to meet you, get to know you, have one or two conversations. I thrive and love that because for me, it is a two-way street. I am interviewing a client as much as they are interviewing me. So it's time for this industry to evolve, not ask agencies to do free work. And more importantly, if you do participate in it, get back to people. Don't ghost them. Don't leave them wondering what went wrong. Don't give no budgets if you're going to send an RFP out and say, oh, give me a small, medium, and large program with no guidance on what that even means. So, like, if you got to do it, at least be fair with people. But in reality, write a one-pager. Say, hey, this is what we're facing as a company We'd love to get on the phone and chat with you for a half hour, 45 minutes to see how you see the world in this area. And if there's a spark and if there's a moment of I could work with this person, I'm always willing to do a follow-up interview or present a little bit more. But the formal RFP process can burn and I, and burn in hell if you ask me. Because Yeah, I, I got a story on that too. There was, you know... You know, some of these budgets, particularly if you're consulting, you could take 
you know, $1 to $20,000 budget or whatever it is. I don't mind. I'll work, especially if I like the person. But I remember this one company out of nowhere had got no business sending out a 10-page RFP about who they were and what they were doing. And the budget was like five grand. <laughs> like it literally was, they wrote the RFP and it was a $100,000 a month budget. And they wanted you to fill out all these things and all that stuff. And it was just like, no, go away. I was like, that's that's a total waste of time. And you you probably sent this to 30 people and we could see right through it. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you out of my last 12 years, when I've worked with Paul and brought Paul in to be a partner with me, not once have I ever said, hey, Paul, fill out this RFP. There's five other agencies competing for the spot. I wanted to make sure you're involved. I've gone to my CEO or I go to my clients now and say, hey, based on what you need, there's three agencies that we should be working with. I'd love for you to meet them all and let's figure out who is best. I did it when I was internal at Pindrop, when I was at Rivian, when I was at NerdWallet, and now I do it in my role. I help companies find the right partners and then I help build programs and manage those agencies. And I will never put anyone through it. And if you don't know who the good people are, you should be targeting and you're just pulling seven names off of the list of the biggest agencies or the three best agencies in this vertical, but you don't actually have any insights to who they are or why you're going about your selection wrong. Start with three people, you know, and you like that could make an impact and then figure out which of those three are right. And don't put them through the rigmarole of a full RFP. Wise words. And then I've gotten mine down to two response, you know, two page responses when people are asking about capabilities and possible ideas of what we can do. But the one thing you said was ghosting. That still takes an hour or two to put together, depending on what we're looking at and researching. And if you don't get back to us, I'm pissed. I had somebody tell me, like she chased me for it for three times. I finally got it to her and we agreed and met the deadline, all that. I haven't heard from her in three months. <laughs> I talked to Paul about this the other day. The hurry up and wait. Can we talk <laughs> to you tomorrow? You rearrange your schedule. You do that because we're in a service industry. We want to launch ASAP. We need to get out there. You get on the phone. You make it happen. You send a follow-up. A one. I do a one-pager. You're nice to do it too. I do a one-pager. High-level outline of what we would do and what it would cost and how we would go about it. More times in 2023 have I been ghosted than in my first four years building this company. And I don't know if it's because people are hurry up and then there's no budget and they're not getting approvals or whatever it is, but there's no excuse to not follow up and say, hey, we had to hit the brakes. The product's not ready. Hey, budget got shifted to Q1 2024. We're going to hold off on a big launch this year. Give us a follow up. Or hey, we picked somebody else. (laughs) And on top of that, you know, one of the things I always try to do, even if I'm getting ghosted, I'll, I'll bug until I hear back from them. But, you know, my thing is, I want to know who I lost to. I mean, just to just to know what I need to do differently or or know who we're competing with. Yep. And as, as often as I get ghosted, I swear to God, I don't think 
I can count on one hand how many times I've written back to a, a, a bid we've lost and say, hey, who'd you go with? They don't tell us. And, you know, I've got to dig and find out on my own, which is no fun either. But, you know, it helps everybody. Yep. Uh, it's well, just... There it is. <laughs> there it is. Our, our pay, our pet peeves of the week. I Real fucking problem was <laughs> Kenshin. Trademark. I'm going to turn it into a shirt, I think. I'm going to wear it to every PR conference I attend. RFPs are a real fucking problem. So, um, so guys, Ken, I'm going to put the code in the lower left or right so you can scan it and, and get more information about your event. But, you know, I'm excited to be a part of it. For those of you who want to attend, it's going to be a great event. And, and, and on top of that, we're grateful for having you here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to uh, meeting you in person, David, next time around. All right, man. Thanks for being here. You bet. See you. Thanks, everybody. It's a CDSRFB. RFB.